G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As Christians, we know that Jesus was Jewish. But Jesus was rejected by the Jewish people and up until now there has always been an uneasy tension when Jewish people contemplate believing on Jesus as their promised Messiah. In the past, Yeshua, or Jesus as we call him, was the best kept secret in Israel, but today millions hear the gospel and many are turning to the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Dr. Erez Sorif is a Jewish psychologist, the president of the One for Israel Bible College in Israel. It's the only accredited Hebrew-speaking Bible college in the world. He's also the CEO of One for Israel, a ministry that is on the cutting edge of internet evangelism in Israel and worldwide. Erez Sarif is joining us. Erez, welcome along to 2020. Hello, thank you. Great to be with you. Erez, when Jewish people put their trust in Jesus as Messiah, they risk being ostracized uh, even by their families. How is that in Israel? Well, uh, you know, when uh, in, in the Jewish society, whether worldwide or in Israel, and unfortunately there is a great, um, as you put it, tension between our community, Jewish people, and Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. The reasons are plenty, and we see the seeds in the book of Acts, I mean, in the Gospel and the book of Acts, uh, again, the main argument is regarding the messiahship of Jesus. Unfortunately, through the generations, also great tension and oftentimes severe persecution by uh, the church. And when I say the church, I mean mainly the Catholic church that has acted completely, completely the opposite of what Jesus said. And as a result of that, there's a great resistance in the Jewish world Jesus. And so when a Jewish person claims faith in the Messiah, uh, the immediate association is, you know, and I've been told that, and it's very common, um, that, you know, you have become a traitor and uh, joined the worst enemies of our people that have, you know, the Inquisition to our people and uh, even the Holocaust. So that's kind of the, the beginning point of the discussion. If you insist on your faith, uh, oftentimes a rebel will pulled in to convince you how wrong you are. And if you persist, then depending on the religiosity level of, uh, of your family, you might actually be, I mean, you can, you'd be ostracized in, in various levels, but um, in, in extreme cases, you would be mourned as if you were dead. There will actually be like a, you know, uh, burial ceremony, as it were, and be completely dead to your family and the community. Uh, this is more unusual these days to that extreme, but, um, you know, several, several uh, um, 
level of, of ejection from the community for sure. Erez, the Jewish people, as you say, have long memories and Christians don't always look good in those memories over the last 2,000 years. And the strength of Jewish culture, resistant to the sorts of change that we might be thinking about when people see Jesus as Messiah, uh, those things can be a strength for a culture, but uh, but they're also a blockage to a breakthrough here because Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is uh, is calling and knocking on the doors of the hearts of Jews. How do you describe the strength of culture, but also a resistance here to the truth of Jesus? Well, um, you know, the, the way that the strength of the culture has, has manifested um, is, and again, unfortunately, in a way that resists is that oftentimes, really since the Reformation, when, you know, believers started reading their Bibles and seeing that sharing the gospel with the whole world and read words of uh, Jesus in Acts 1-8, you know, start from Jerusalem, Samaria at the ends of the earth. Some people take that literally, Jerusalem meaning the Jewish people. And also, you know, Romans 16, when Paul says the gospel is to all who believe to the Jew first and to the non-Jew. Uh, by the way, when he says the Jew to the Jew first, he means it's a statement of order, not of value or importance. But when believers read that, God has kindled in their hearts to share the good news of Yeshua, of Jesus, with the Jewish people. And so Western missionaries have started coming to Jewish communities since the let's say, 16 or 17th century. Now, the issue was the people that have come and sent by God, and I, know I'm, I want to be super clear, I'm not against the, uh, them anywhere, in any way whatsoever. For the Jewish community, however, they look different. You know, they didn't look like us. They didn't speak like us. They didn't know our culture and our uh, costumes. And Oh, the irony, conclusion was, they're trying to shove a foreign god down our throat. And so that has still remained, even, even in the state of Israel, I mean, you still have that. Um, you know, it's, it's far few now for various reasons, but there's still well-meaning uh, missionaries, that come, missionary societies that come to Israel with no coordination whatsoever, and no uh, contact with the local believers. And unfortunately, you know, that's kind of the stigma that they, they receive. Now, the good news is that, as you said at the, you know, at the introduction, there is a generation. There is a large and growing group of Jewish people that have heard the gospel. By the way, by and large, most of us, 30, 40, or 50 years ago, have heard the gospel from Gentile Christians and started to follow the Messiah, and God is using this growing group, you know, and it goes way beyond One for Israel, the group that I'm part of, to share the good news with our families, with our neighbors, with our people. And when we do that, you know, they look at us, and they get very confused. They say, well, how can you, I mean, they look at us, they realize we're Jewish, they hear the way we speak, they realize we're native Israelis, uh, our Hebrew is, you know, that's our mother tongue, um, they tell us, go back to where you come from, but we only have an Israeli passport. There's nowhere else for us to go. I mean, these are our people. We, 
And so for the first time, really since the book of Acts, the Jewish people are dealing with the reality that the gospel is coming from within. And that causes Jewish people to at least consider. It doesn't mean that everybody accepts it. Uh, we are often called, you know, terrible nicknames or whatever, but that's not, you know, it's really not about us. It's about the Messiah we represent. And again, we read in the book of Acts, it was exactly the same, the same thing at that time. But God is also using it, particularly among the younger generation, to plant a lot of seed in people's hearts. People are hearing about Yeshua in Hebrew, the New Testament. The actual text of the New Testament is available in Hebrew, in text form, in audio form, form, parts of it. There's a, a plethora of short videos and articles, books, talking about the Messiahship of Jesus in Hebrew. People can come to us, congregations around the, the land of Israel, and speak to other Jewish people who are followers of Jesus. And so the, the discrepancy that existed is is getting smaller. I don't want to say that it's gone because it's not, and I don't want to say that I create a a uh, you know a um, uh, to paint where it sounds more turned to Jesus. That's not the case, not yet anyway. We'll say this: the remnant, what Paul is called the remnant, the small percentage or number of Jewish people that are followers of Yeshua has grown dramatically, dramatically over the last 30 years. Wow. And even though we're still, you know, less than 1% of than 1% of the Jewish population, if you think about it, then 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, the percentage was <laughs> basically just a, literally a fraction of, of 1%. So there's dramatic growth and just some statistics, forgive the long speech. Um, so but we actually, uh, I wrote an article uh, a couple of years ago for uh, uh, Israel's 70th anniversary as a state, and, uh, or 70, 70th uh, Independence Day. And we've done some research through our college among the believers. And we basically went around and surveyed uh, pastors and leaders and lay people, and we have found, I mean, historically speaking, in 1948, the state of Israel was declared there were 23, 23 Jewish believers in the entire country and zero uh, congregations or churches of Jewish believers. Wow. In 2018, when we've done the research, we have found that 30,000 Jewish followers of Yeshua congregating in more than 300 congregations or churches. And we and those are just the people that are in the mainstream that are regularly going to different churches. Um, in our estimation, the real number is much greater than that, at least three, three times that, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't include that number. So the number now is 30,000 in Israel alone and growing. So, Jewish people resistant to anyone who is of a Gentile Christian heritage, but so open when it is coming within the Jewish people. Wonderful growth in that time. And areas you're observing this change. 
How exciting is that for someone who is training up uh, Jewish believers uh, to be evangelists on the streets of Israel? How excited are you about the change that's there? Um, I mean, it's truly, truly amazing. You know, we, we were in, in the trenches, so you don't get to stop and think about it. Often. But when we do, particularly when we talk to, you know, to our children or, or to the younger generation, to the students, and we, we look back on how things were, you know, only 25 or 30 years ago, it's, it's truly amazing. It's, it's just a tremendous privilege to be part of, of God's move at this time and um you know also it, it, one other thing that is super exciting uh, that is taking place around the middle east at this time it's kind of like what Paul said in romans 10 i'm sorry romans 11:25. he said if their blindness referring to the jewish people if the rejection the national rejection of the messiah was a blessing to the nations by the virtue that the gospel got to everyone around the world, or is getting to everyone around the world, Paul is saying how much more it will be a blessing to the nations when Israel is in faith to Christ. And I'm not saying we're quite there, but the way we see that the number of Jewish believers growing, then God's message, God's gospel, God's good news of the Messiah are spreading from Israel throughout the Middle East. We have a billion Arabs around us, Arabic people. Most of them are Muslim. And uh, genetically speaking, I guess, you could say, in certain cases, the Jews and the Arabs relate to one another as cousins. Now, we're in the family that has a family feud of 4,000 years. However, however, there's... Um, a very active evangelistic movement in Arabic from Israel through to the Middle East, and we see many, many Muslims turning to the true God of the Bible. Uh, for many of them, super touching that it's not just other Arabic people that are sharing with them, but it's a team of both Arab Jewish people that are sharing the good news. So God is truly doing something unique. Our age, um, very exciting to see and to be part of. Dr. Erez Saref is the Jewish psychologist and president of One for Israel Bible College in Israel. The website is oneforisrael.org. We're back with some more in just a few moments. We're back with Dr. Erez Saref. He's Jewish psychologist and the president of One for Israel Bible College He's also CEO of One for Israel, a ministry that is on the cutting edge of internet evangelism in Israel and worldwide. Erez, can we come to your story? Because you are, I imagine what you'd say is a Messianic Jew or a completed Jew. Uh, give us some insights into your own story of discovering that Jesus is Messiah. Sure. So I think... My personal story is representative of a generation of Israeli Jewish people that are now believers in the Messiah. So for me, I was born and raised in Israel, and uh, as ridiculous this may sound throughout my childhood, even though we visited family in Jerusalem many times, and, and um, also, you know, I have 
throughout my childhood, I've never heard of Jesus of Nazareth. And in school, we even studied the Hebrew Bible first to 12th grade. And, you know, we kind of, in, in retrospect, I realized we skip the passages that um, we would consider now as uh, talking about the Messiah. And so, as ridiculous as it sounds, like most uh, Israel, my generation, I've grown up knowing absolutely nothing about Jesus of Christ, what his life, I've never seen the New Testament, even the New Testament is not sold in Hebrew in bookstores. And um, in Israel, after high school, there is a three-year compulsory military service. And after my service, uh, I've decided to not just go straight to university, but uh, to take a year and just travel the world and kind of take some time away or off. In the course of that year, I have uh, arrived for the first time in my life, and unbeknown to me, to a Christian youth hostel, Christian in the sense that there were true believers in that uh, youth hostel. And I, I've noticed something different about them. And uh, I couldn't, couldn't immediately say what it was. But as time passed and I spent some time there, you know, the people told me that they believe in Jesus. And I said, well, that's good for you. I mean, happy you're happy. And they said, no, no, you, you, you should, you can, and you should believe in Jesus as well. And I told them, well, I, to be completely honest, I don't really know much about Jesus, but I do know that, you know, as a Jew, I'm not supposed to believe on him. And they said, why, 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 why is that? I mean, he's Jewish. Why, why can't a Jew believe in him? So that was certainly piqued my interest. And I started observing a little more the life as I got to know them. There were two things that have drawn my attention and, you know, for our listeners that may have Jewish friends or neighbors or coworkers, these are the things that they see in you and they cannot deny as you, as you live the, li- the, the Christian life, you know, with them or before them. So what I saw was, first, they had a relationship with God, by the way, which is a, a, a unique term. Most Jewish people don't think about that is about, about God as having personal relationship with him. But that, that's what they said. And that's certainly, you know, and I've, I've seen that in the way they talk to God, you know, in the way they pray to God. Because in the Jewish world, you, you read your prayers. It's a written prayer. But they spoke to God like they spoke to a loving father or a friend, which was very curious. And um, so that, that really uh, piqued my interest. And the second thing that was even more in some way shocking to me was that some of them were familiar with the Hebrew Bible more than I was. And I, so I asked them, why are you guys reading the Hebrew Bible, the old Testament? I mean, this, this is our book. And they told me, no, we, you know, we read the whole Bible, the, the, the Hebrew Bible and the new Testament. And I told them, I say, look, I've, I've had, you know, Hebrew Bible classes in school. And I've never seen the New Testament. What's the New Testament? So anyway, that was kind of the first uh, of some sort of a search journey for me as I've begun initially reading the Hebrew Bible and confronting myself with passages that I've not really read before. Passages from Deuteronomy 18, talking about the prophet like Moses, to uh, passages in the prophets, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah 31, where it talks, God is saying that he will set up a new covenant, 
and, and other passages and Psalms and so on. And I was just amazed because it seemed to point to somebody, to the Messiah, describing in some details. And at some point, I uh, remember I was thinking that I'm a hypocrite because I would read, you know, Hindu writing and Buddhist writings or whatever. But when it comes to the New Testament, I had a prejudice. And I didn't read it. So at some point, I made myself read, begin reading the New Testament. I had one. I received one in Hebrew. I asked one. I received one in Hebrew. And preparing myself for the worst, I began reading. And the first sentence I read is, this is gene- the genealogy of Yeshua, of Jesus, son of David and son of Abraham. And I was like, well, this is, you know, that's familiar. I know who those are, David and Abraham. And as I kept reading, I was truly amazed. I mean, first of all, I could understand everything. It took place, you know, in the land of Israel, the gospel did, and in places I've been to many, many times and visited many times. I could relate to that. The description of, of Jewish society to some degree, you know, um, echo what we have here today, particularly with the religious institutions, Pharisees, Sadducees. We call them different names, but they're still with us today. But what drew my, drew my attention more than anything was... Yeshua himself. I mean, he was different. He was not doing religious stuff to find favor in, you know, in people's minds or hearts or make a good impression on anybody. And that, that really, I, I really felt drawn to him. And as, as time has passed, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, as the more I read, the more the Holy Spirit worked in my heart to understand i don't think i could have put it to words at that time in the same fashion but i could understand my own sinfulness in the sense that there's nothing i can do to earn god's favor but he's giving me a gift and you know despite my dishonoring or missing the mark in 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 my sins by the way the word the word sin in hebrew is the same root of missing missing the mark so even though I missed the mark, God has, and I was deserving uh, death punishment for that uh, before God, or at least spiritual death. And so God sent his son, the Messiah, the perfect Messiah, to take my sins upon himself and to prove that he did that and that's acceptable. Once and for all, the Messiah has resurrected, according to the scriptures, after three days. And so... At some point, I had a, uh, uh, when, I, when again, the whole thing was kind of working out in my mind and later in my heart, I had a spiritual experience with the Lord, and I've become, asked him to forgive my sins and be my Lord, and um, after I've become his disciple, I had, a, on the one hand, a great sense of joy, because I've met, you know, I had a relationship with God, I've met the true Messiah. But on the other, I had a, a great sense of sadness and urgency because I was just amazed. How, how can it be that up to this point, I was 22 at the time, I've never heard about Jesus and not only me, but you know, my, my family, my friends, and my people, we don't get to hear this message. So um, I've decided to change plans and go back home and tell my family, tell my friends, everybody else that I meet about this great discovery that Yeshua is not just the Messiah of the Gentiles. He's also 
our Messiah. And you got a very well, you got a very cold reception from your family. <laughs> uh, they didn't accept that well, so easily. Well, you you can say that uh, I, I was not the, the message was not accepted with the same enthusiasm and joy I hoped it would be. And uh, I think the, initially the consensus was that I have, uh, you know, I've lost my mind and something terrible happened to me. I was brainwashed and any of the above. And so my, the part of my family that, that are more religious arrange a meeting with the rabbi and the other part of the family that's more secular arrange a meeting with a psychiatrist to evaluate my sanity. And um, he actually, by the way, it's, it's, I should have asked for that in writing, but he actually formally declared me to be, uh, um, you know, mentally, emotionally sane or stable, which is, you know, I think some people would find that <laughs> comforting uh, in this day and age. But um, anyway, I was uh, overjoyed. One, one thing that it's very important for me to state, I think my experience at that time was that I'm the only one, you know, there's no other Jewish believer in Jesus in the world uh, you know, and I'm probably the first one since the Apostle Paul, which was not the case, but I just didn't know anyone else. So when I finally found a community or congregation of uh, Jewish believers in my hometown, uh, where I grew up in my city, I was just overjoyed. And I've um, started meeting with them. One of the leaders met with me for uh, discipleship I, uh, some years later. I mean, I, I started attending university and uh, begun, you know, sharing with my fellow students. And that was, uh, was uh, a great time. We're breaking the ground in Israeli universities uh, there later on, you know, but th- that was the beginning. It was just uh, um, very lonely and, and to some degree confusing at the beginning. Dr. Erez Sarif is our guest. He's president of One for Israel Bible College in Israel, We'll talk some more in just a short while about what evangelism looks like today in the state of Israel. Some wonderful insights today about what's happening so far as the message of Jesus as Messiah to the Jewish people. And from those early days at the time when the state of Israel was recognized back in 1948, just a handful of Christians. These days, as many as 30,000 of people who we'd call a Messianic Jew or a completed Jew. Our special guest is Dr. Erez Saref, president of One for Israel Bible College. Erez You've not only seen this uptake of people who believe in Jesus as Messiah, but also wanting to study more deeply uh, in your Bible college, One for Israel. Describe what that looks like today. So um, in in some ways, it's a typical uh, Bible college setting. Of course, our studies are uh, mainly in Hebrew. That's the main language that it's uh, taught. Um, so in some ways, we function as every normal uh, Bible college would function. Um, one thing that, at least for us, is very, very, very important is that uh, we not only train the leaders or the future leaders, but we also reach the lost in our society, in our community. Um, so thinking of how to best do that, because, you know, 20 years ago, we would have leaflets and and different, uh, different things um, that we would, you know, pass out to people and talk to them and so on. Um, about 15 years ago, we 
re- did some research. Actually, it's one, one of our team members that has background in advertisement came to us and said, said, listen, I've done some research, and here's the data. Israelis have the highest number, I'm sorry, the second highest number in the world in number of smartphones we own. And this is after Taiwan that manufactures them. We don't. And then Israelis spend 60% more time every day on social networks than the average American. Israelis are the heaviest users of social networks, such as Facebook, Instagram, Google, and so on, YouTube, than any other you know, person on the planet. And so our conclusion, this is, I remind you about 12 or 15 years ago, we said, we need to treat this as a wineskin, just another medium to pass on the message of the Messiah to our people. It was right around that time that uh, we were also refurbishing our, I mean, the building that was our new campus that has become our new campus. And so we built a television studio and radio station and we've begun and created different websites. We've begun uh, creating short testimonial videos, five minute testimonials of Jewish people that have become followers of Yeshua. And that caught like wildfire. People would just love to view those and hear those stories. And then we would get tremendous, a large number of responses, and people would start asking us questions. And we've noticed that people are asking the same questions over and over again. And so we've distilled it to the most commonly asked or most frequently asked questions and created short videos to answer those questions. It had to do with things like what we call general apologetics, does God exist? But the most was what we call Jewish apologetics. Um, And these are questions that relate specifically to the Messiah from a Jewish perspective. For example, um, does Isaiah 53 talk about suffering servant? Is that the Messiah or is that the nation of Israel? As common rabbinical commentary states, dating back to the 10th century. So, um, again, we created a series of videos, of apologetic videos, tremendous response. And today we're at a place where, you know, Israel is a country of, let's say, nine and a half million people, of them eight million Jewish people, eight million Hebrew speakers, native Hebrew speakers. And our videos have been viewed in the last five years over 45 million times. This is Hebrew alone. So just tremendous exposure. And so in a country with a population just 9 million, when you're getting 45 million hits on those videos, you know that your message is cutting through. Absolutely. And so we we get a mixed bag of of responses, a lot of responses. Um, You know, uh, many of them are very positive, people wanting to learn more, and they either come to visit us of course, the goal is always to meet in person, to be available for people, or more often, we just put them in contact with local um, you know, congregations or local groups in their area. And um, most of the pastors have been you know, studying with us, so we have great relationship with uh, everyone around the country. So just uh, that has been working very well. 
Uh, but there's also negative responses. And, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, we, we are traders, we are, you know, we're terrible people. And um, it's kind of like Paul before his conversion, um, you know, just tremendous zealousy to, to serve God by persecuting the followers of the Messiah. So they call themselves uh, anti-missionaries and they try to do, you know, there are several groups like that, one in particular that try to make the life of the Jewish followers of Jesus um, as difficult as possible. But very important for me to state, um, you know, they're not our enemies. And we actually know them on a personal level. We know their names. They know ours. We occasionally meet and speak. Um, But, uh, you know, these are the people that we come to serve. They're not our enemies. However, they do try to stop our activity in any way possible from you know, demonstrations and violent physical attacks uh, on, you know, people and property all the way through lawsuits. And so we're dealing now with a certain lawsuit um, that, you know, is going to run through the courts probably for some years. But uh, anyway, that's uh, everything that we do, by the way. Israel is a democracy with freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And everything that we do is 100% legal. However, it doesn't prevent uh, some people from, you know, pursuing lawsuits and so on that take a lot of uh, time and energy. So internet evangelism has taken a significant place and it's showing real results. And whether that's for people converting and becoming a part of the uh, way that you are called a messianic Jew, but it's also got this... Uh, alternative, this aggressive response from the anti-missionaries. It's not stopping your outreach errors. You've also got some special outreach into Messianic IDF forces, the Israeli Defence Forces. How's that working out? So, uh, yes, that's true. I mean, the IDF, the Israel Defence Forces, is uh, playing a very central role in Israeli society. And, you know, we send our own children to the military, um, and it's, like I said, a compulsory service uh, still by and large. And so every year there are several hundred soldiers uh, that are followers of Jesus. Now, in the, in the IDF, there is, no, um, there is no position of a chaplain. There is a rabbi, but there's no chaplain. And so the believers are basically left unattended, as it were. And so uh, we, we've created this ministry to those soldiers who are already believers, and uh, we do conferences for them and uh, different activities to encourage them in their military service, uh, to nourish them in their faith. And it has really grown and become very, very uh, successful, very active part of our ministry. Erez, how can Australian Christians support your good work? Well, the thing that we need the most is prayer. And uh, we're actually, these days, uh, we are putting out online a 31-day-of-prayer-for-Israel devotional where people can be encouraged but also informed of how to specifically pray for um, ministry activities in Israel and different segments of Israeli society. And that's, uh, that is a great resource. Uh, I sometimes meet 
uh, Christians that God has put through the Bible, has put great love for Israel in their heart, but they, they really don't know how to pray. So this can provide specifics, and you can find more details on our website. Uh, but prayer, really, is the main thing that uh, we would ask at this time. Wonderful. I want to thank you so much for sharing your heart on what's happening. A bit of a snapshot as to how the gospel is being received and the challenges that are there in the nation of Israel. Dr. Erez Soref is a Jewish psychologist. He's the president of One for Israel Bible College. He's also the CEO of One for Israel, a ministry that's on the cutting edge of internet evangelism in Israel and worldwide. To connect with Dr. Erez Saref, you can go to the website oneforisrael.org and take advantage of that opportunity to download that prayer resource on how to pray for Jewish people who are on the path of discovering Jesus as Messiah. Erez, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. My pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.